I am Plata on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Brian Wood joins me again. The literary agent and poet has just published a new collection of poetry, Zen in Beverly Hills. It's a collection that reflects what's in the author's mind and heart. You have ruminations on grief, the losing of a pet, how we react to loss, how we mourn even those we've never met. I'll ask Brian about faith, the part that religion has played in his life, and how it's influenced his writing and his use of language. We'll uh, talk about writing poetry and how he finds uh, the time amidst his successful career as a literary agent. I'll ask him how the book business is doing as well. The website for more is at brianjwood.com. This new book is published by Equation Books. He joined me from Guelph, Ontario, 10 days ago. Please welcome back to the Plant Online Program, Brian Wood. Mr. Wood, good morning. How are you doing, sir? Pretty good yourself. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Um, Did you grow up with religion in your life? (laughs) So you've read the book. I have, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I grew up in a very uh, evangelical household. Uh, My parents still attend uh, the same church to this day. And, And so is it still a big part of your life? Hmm. Uh, no, in that I, I, I haven't gone, uh, you know, since I was a teenager. I ask that because the, the, the language in the book um, suggests that even if it's, if it's not a big part of your life, say, once a week or every day for some, some people that are religious, it, it has a formative ex- uh, um, impact on, on language and, and the sort of language that you use in your writing. Oh yeah, no. Um, that that that's why your question doesn't surprise me. The the poems are uh, full of the King James version of the Bible, and they're also full of uh, of hymns from people like Watts and Wesley. Um, to pe- uh, yeah, that's why your question doesn't surprise me. That the poems are full of that kind of uh, language, or especially allusions to that kind of language. Yeah, there are a lot of biblical references that, that I mean, I grew up Catholic, but I mean, you know, it's it's not something that's a part of my life right now. Um, and in, so I had to look up a lot of things. You sent me a note, and then I had to look it up and <laughs> what you were referring to. Um, it, I, I guess it, when, when, when these things happen at a young age, especially, they, they hardly leave one, don't, don't they? Yeah, you probably know the famous line, um, North of Pride said William Blake was a, a Bible-soaked Protestant. Mm, right. <laughs> And although my poems aren't nearly as good, that's a decent description of the way I grew up. It was a part of the everyday f- factor of our lives. Like, uh, if we weren't in church, uh, chances are good we were at Bible study or at Bible camp or something like that. It was, uh, yeah, it was everywhere. Um, yeah. And uh, the, um, uh, my brother, my brother is a driver at Guelph Transit. He says even sometimes when the bus is empty, he'll be finding himself singing old hymns. Uh, what you have, what, what goes on as a child, is, is can really linger with you in some respects. It, it, I mentioned being a Catholic, growing up a Catholic. Um, I, I still like when I, when I turn on the TV late at night or sometimes on a Sunday, and see some of those you know those uh, fire and brimstone preachers on television, mm-hmm. uh, watching for a bit because the use of the language mm-hmm. is 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 there, and, it, and it's it's um, fascinating to watch how. Um, you know, some people watch with you know their fingers crossed or something like that. Um, but but you can see the, the, the performative aspect of it, and it's just yeah. remarkable to see. Yeah, you can make a good living doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you can make a good living writing poetry. No, no. But I assume your question was facetious. <laughs> How often do you write? 
Um, it really it depends. Sometimes I'll have a couple on the go, and sometimes it'll be months in between. It really depends on what occurs to me and, and, and whether I'm able to work on them or not. Um, okay, sometimes they occur to me when I'm a walk. I'm on a walk, and I have to rush home and kind of write down what I remembered, and sometimes yeah. they kind of filter through the uh, subconscious. It, it depends. I know that's a very unsatisfying answer, but um, they tend to come in a, in a rush, and sometimes I don't write for months at all. Are you, are you uh, someone, you mentioned having to rush home and write, so if, if you, I mean, we all carry phones with us, you wouldn't uh, type it out or say record it? Oh, no, no, I, th I think I've said this before, maybe even on your podcast, if I don't remember it, then why would anyone else? <laughs> mm, that's a good point, yeah. I, 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 sometimes when I'm out on a walk, my subconscious will cough up a line or two when I have to rush home to write it down. Uh, that's also true when um, a poem is near finishing in my like if I'm struggling with something, I'll wake up in the morning and my brain will say, just cut the first stanza and everything will be fine. And I, that's usually good advice. I find the more that my subconscious chew on this stuff, the better the stuff turns out. Some people would say that, that spending a lot of time with a piece of writing, um, well, I guess it'd be, you put it away for a bit um, and then you go back to it, I think, rather than say stare at it for a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so writing is essentially rewriting, isn't it? Yes, and I, I think for some, for some, it can be a danger in that you over-polish and you get rid of the stuff that you like to begin with. Yeah. That's all, I'm sure every writer struggles with that. The, you want to work on it, you want to bring a quality product to people, you want them to enjoy it. I find sometimes if I revise too much, what I liked about the poem is gone. Does <clears throat> um, writing poetry, does that give you a chance to say things or express things that you couldn't say any other way, be it... Be it uh, Another kind of writing, essays maybe. Oh, very or much so, yes. Even speaking, say? Yeah, to me it's a chance to say things that really wouldn't be... I think a lot of poets are like this. It's a way to express feelings that are untenable in any other form. Mm. Um, it would be tough to, you know, um, two friends chatting in a bar are probably not going to sound like Paradise Lost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Northrop Frye even had a joke about that, that... Paradise Lost, you have to suspend your imagination because it's tough to picture two naked people speaking in iambic pentameter for ten books. Um, yeah. And his point being, I think, and quite properly, that poetry is artificial, and I think that's what people like about it. It's a, it's a, a different, usually compact way of saying things. I think that's what people like about it. Yeah, the, the thing that astonishes me is I read um, Zen and Beverly Hills, and any poetry, for, for that matter, is... is um, the discipline of poetry, and that, that really impresses me with, with poets, is that there's nothing really wasted. Um, yes. There's no, the space is not wasted. Words aren't wasted. Um, yeah. You have to do things really quickly, don't you? Yes, and, and the really great poets can astonish you, even though you know what's coming. I, I don't know if you had a chance to read the one about Shakespeare. Um, my, well, you know, Rachel, she took me to go see a production of Hamlet they had filmed a couple years earlier at the London National Theatre. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I assume 90% of the people there had either read the play or sure. seen it before or, or, you know, knew the ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yet there were a few people in tears there at the end, even though they knew what was coming, because the poetry is so dense, uh, so compact and so powerful. It hits you somewhere that, say, an essay or a, a well-written documentary would not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed, Brian, that there are dates at the, at the end of... Um, most uh, you all of the poems in the book. Um, do, do you see growth as a writer in yourself? I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, you've read you've read all three books, or you've read ch- ch- chunks of them. Yeah. Um, you prob- you probably notice they're a little different now than when I first started out. I think they're a little more spare. Um, they're a little better thought out. Um, I hope the rhyme schemes are more disciplined. I, I hope I've matured in some ways as a writer or as a poet. But that's really for the reader to decide. I think the poems are technically more accomplished now. I hope. <laughs> Uh, other people might say the first book had a lyricism, the later ones do not. It's hard to say. People people will make up their own minds. And, and the technical part, do you think you, you get better at that because you do it, or is it because you read other poets or you, you study Yes and yes. Really? Yes yeah. and yes. You, you can learn a great deal with Larkin or Auden, um, Browning, some of the technical masters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anybody, yeah, you can learn a great deal by, by studying them closely, you know, copying out their poems by hand, you can learn a lot. And then, yeah, I, I do think, I think poets do, at least a lot of them, get better as they get older because their, their technical mastery grows. Um, like Frost, you could see him as he got older, he got better and better at his his diction and his delivery, uh, his rhyme schemes. Um, uh, so I hope. And obviously this is for readers to say, I hope this new collection is better than the first, but ultimately that's up to people who read the book. The, um, the, for, for people listening to us, the, 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 uh, there are readings of, of um, your poetry uh, available on your publisher's website, mm-hmm. uh, Equation Books, um, uh, Peter Mansbridge, Sheila Rogers, uh, Bob McKenzie, James Duffy. Uh, read poems of yours there. I, I wondered why um, you didn't read one yourself. I suppose we should think of that for the next one. (laughs) There's also going to be one by Ken Reed, by the way. That'll be up soon. Um, I don't have a good answer to that. I I I I thought people might be interested in hearing somebody else read them. Um, uh, Poets tend to read their work differently than than someone coming into it cold. Uh, That's what what fascinated me. Yeah, they're very interesting to listen to. But but, uh, knowing you as I have over the years, I I read the book sort of with your voice in mind. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that's why I thought, well, um, I wonder why he didn't record it himself. That's something to think about. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good idea. Now, you, your line of work, um, that of being an agent, put, puts you in proximity to well-known people. Mm-hmm. Does you, I'm getting into some of the themes in the book now. Does your relationship to fame change as, as a result? I mean, I would assume that, that you're probably more at ease with people now than, say, you were before you were an agent. Were you? Yes. It's much easier. I mean, it's still difficult to reach out to famous people now, but it's 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 easier now than it was when I first started. And so, when when you meet someone that you admire, say, or that whose work you enjoyed, and and it doesn't mm-hmm. turn out, the experience of meeting them wasn't really that great. Does that change your relationship with your work? Ooh, boy, how much time do you got? <laughs> uh, it's a podcast. We get a lot of time. <laughs> I think. <clears throat> well, I bet I bet you can. And answer in many ways answer this better than I can because you have so many A-listers on your show, for lack of a better term. I suspect some you've liked, some you've respected, some you've cordially disliked, um, some you want the interview gone for a couple days, some you're probably itching for them to get off the phone. <laughs> so it's always unpleasant when famous person A isn't all that nice in person. <clears throat> I think, like, uh, I know a lot of hockey fans were devastated when. Uh, Bobby York came out so publicly for Trump just before the 2020 election. Mm. Um, you know, which he has every right to do. Um, 
you know, he's a free citizen in a, in a free country who can vote the way he wants, and, you know, he's, he, he has every right to, to be for his candidate, but it was, it was disappointing to find out that arguably the world's greatest player uh, was, in, was on the side of such a crescent. <clears throat> Um, so yeah, in my own way, uh, I have met some great people in this business, and, and and others not so great. It does affect how you think of them afterwards because you see way too much of the backstage. Um, that's probably one of the reasons why writers like uh, Shakespeare and Chaucer are so revered. It's because we know so little about them. We really only know their work, and that probably helps. Them. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the, the other thing is, is when you talk about experiences you've had, as you do in, in Zen and Beverly Hills, um, I can't help but read some of the poems, especially when I see the dates at the end. They're sort of diary entries or journal entries. I mean, just thinking about it in, 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 in terms of poetry, does that, say, clarify how you remember incidents, say? Oh, very much. And some of them, like, I don't know if you had a chance to read the notes at the back. Yeah, yeah. Some of them didn't even happen to me, like the one about the famous movie star right. um, making an ass of herself in Beverly Hills. That actually happened to an old boss of mine. Mm. And just, it's funny you should ask that, Joseph, because <laughs> I was just, she said on Facebook the other day that she bought a copy of the book and she was looking forward to it. And, and by the way, you know, yeah, you know, I like your poem, but you're wrong. You know, uh, the, movie, the movie star. Well, she told me in the beginning, too. She said, Brian, I love this poem, but you've got it all wrong. Because I got it from one of her Facebook uh, updates. Mm. <clears throat> yes. And I said, you know, I, I know we disagree about this, but I think that star was being an ass. She goes, Brian, you don't get it. She was being perfectly charming, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that almost is telling, isn't it? It, it is, yeah. Because you can look at it both ways. I mean, you're obviously experiencing what she experienced from a distance. That's right. Second hand. Um, you had, and to, I think you had to be in the room, right? It, yeah, I think she knows that if this famous star wasn't famous and rich, that person probably would have been given the boot. Yeah. The, the staff had to pretend it was it was charming and, and everything because of her fame and yeah. her wealth. Yeah. Somebody else comes in there and they probably get the boot. Um, and we've seen this just recently, the Oscars. If... if, if sure. uh, if somebody not Will Smith comes up and physically assaults a stand-up comedian for telling a, a joke, they probably end up, at, maybe don't, they don't spend a week in jail, but probably the night in jail. At least. Yeah, yeah. And Will Smith just gets his Oscar and gives his speech and goes home. It, it also says something about um, the two different coasts. Uh, one of the things I was going to ask you uh, um, later was, was why you're so taken by California. <laughs> um, I, I would think the attitudes in California with regards to fame are a lot different than they are on the East Coast, in, in mm -hmm. say, in New York. Um, I, I don't know what that says about New Yorkers. Is perhaps they're more jaded or, or they're more <laughs> comfortable with fame, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't have... I think... Uh L.A. has a weirdly reverential air of fame about it, and I guess New York, you're probably right, New York is too jaded. I, I think part of the reason people like John Lennon moved there is because nobody cared who he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> well, what is it about California? We were talking just before we started about how um, that's the next destination, if you will, if, if, if um, you had your brothers in terms of a holiday. Um, you seem to go to California a lot. <laughs> You're very taken by it. What is it other than the weather, say? That's a, I wish I had a good answer. Uh, my wife and I just love it there. Uh, we got engaged there. Um, 
we love everything about it. The, there's, a, there's some bookstores and record stores we go to every time. We love uh, walking along the pier from Santa Monica to Venice Beach. Um, we love going to the galleries there. We've been to the, the Getty Museum and the Getty Villa. Yeah. Um, Griffiths Observatory is up next. Um, we love just kind of walking around um, Beverly Hills and uh, West Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know. It, I find it very relaxing. Um, sometimes we'll just walk over to UCLA and, and walk around the campus. It's just, um, yeah, I, I wish I had a better, better answer. We just really enjoy it there. I find it relaxing, and there's nothing about it that reminds me of Canada. <laughs> that's, that's the thing is just reading the book and, and, and reading you talk about it. I guess you grew up in central Canada, didn't you? Ottawa, that's right. Yeah, so, so the weather, obviously, is, is a draw, I would think. Yes, that's a big factor. They they pretty much. I was just listening before you called. I was listening to a, a hockey podcast with a Hall of Fame player, and they they asked him which team he liked best. He said Anaheim. It's they have sunny weather 364 days a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. Is it because I grew up in Vancouver, the same coast, if you will, the same time zone? Um, I don't know. I find the East a little more interesting. Yeah, I I, um, that, yeah, I think everyone's different that way. I, yeah. I, I think I think I may have said this to you before, maybe on a different one of your podcasts, but I think I love Los Angeles the way tourists do. I should be very different if I was there all year round. <laughs> I would think so, yeah. I mean, I, I love New York, but I think I would probably hate living there. Yeah, I have a friend on Facebook who has the same kind of relationship with Venice. I'm sure she couldn't put up with it all year round, but it's, it's where she looks forward to. <laughs> I'd, I'd give Venice a shot, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, but you know what I mean, though. Like, tourists have a different relationship oh, sure, because yeah. they get to leave. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the um, idea of going home, yeah. Um, you know, the traffic, you know, every city has its problems, and, and tourists can fall in love with a place that a resident probably won't. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't grow up with, with pets or, or, or animals in my life. Mm-hmm. Um I, I had, had fun, if you will, learning about the, or trying to understand the love of a dog. And, and you write about um, Daisy Sentis, a, a dog that, that was in your life and that has since departed. Um, the, the loss of a pet, I mean, so some people might equate that to the loss of a person. It, it, it's something altogether special, isn't it? Yeah, in some ways... Um I think I even said this in the book somewhere. The the loss of a dog or a pet cuts deeper somehow. Yeah. Not that we don't lo- we don't mourn sure. the yeah, loss yeah. of people, but um, uh, it's I think it's tougher with dogs because because they can't talk. They come up they can't come up and say, "Look, I've had enough. It's time for me to go." Uh, you have to be the one to decide that they've had their run, and that is especially excruciating. Yeah. Uh, they've done nothing wrong. All they've done is age. <laughs> Um, I saw a friend of mine the other day post that, uh, you know, her mother had passed away from dementia and, and somebody tried to send a consoling message. She goes, that's okay. We hadn't really spoken in years. So she'd had time to kind of disattach herself, for lack of a better word. Right. With pets are around all the time, and, and uh, it's tough. And I tried to get, get that across in the poem. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's, a, it's a marvelous poem, but, it, but it, you know, it, it, it's... Um um, I understand where you're coming from, where you're 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 poking fun at say grief, or or other people's conception of grief, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the the, uh, the visceral loss is there. I mean, it, it's there in every word. 
Yeah, and that that poem you're referring to, that I do have a great deal of fun with Kuba Ross, and who knows, maybe her books have helped many people. Yeah. But I find that idea of five stages of this, and, and, and I find grief more um, enduring than that. And maybe, I'm sure I'm trivializing her work, but I find uh, the only real cure for that is time, and, and sometimes not even then. And, uh, memories have a way of surprising us, uh, and grief can linger on in the back of your mind. There's also a poem in the book that, that refers to your wife's father, who, who's some, somebody you never met. But you're able to, to, to convey feelings about someone you didn't know. And to, to the reader, someone who, who had no idea who this person was, um, so, so well that, that, that you know, one can see the power of poetry in terms of um, understanding or, or giving a, a voice or giving a way to express feelings um, not just nostalgia but love and, and, and goodwill and you know good feeling about someone you know that that um, you you'd have wanted to meet that was the goal with that poem just to try to, to do a tribute to somebody I, I, I'm never going to meet because I'm married to one of his daughters, I, I hear about him a great deal, and there's so much to admire there. So that was the attempt there, to try and <clears throat> get across a picture of somebody who, who led a noble life, um, uh, to try and draw that kind of portrait. <clears throat> yeah, and, and, it, and I would only think that poetry is the only way to do that. I mean, a, a song, perhaps, or... or but but other, other forms of writing seem, seem, I don't know, less... One would be less inclined to invoke other forms of, of writing. Yeah, to me, a poem that is best says the unsayable or tries to. Yeah. The other thing that I was wondering, Brian, as I was reading the book, is, is you're somebody who's been acquainted with books your whole life, really. I mean, as a reader, now as a writer, as an agent, of course, and a bookseller before that. Um, they, 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 they play such a part in your life, and I'm wondering if you didn't have books... What sort of life would it be like for you? <laughs> I'd, I'd probably be in jail somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how people who don't read get through life. Uh, to me, it's an essential vitamin, for lack of a better way of saying it. I, I, uh, I read as much as I can, and for the past few years, I've, I've set a goal of trying. I don't want to succeed, but I try to read a book for at least an hour a day that has nothing to do with my job. Mm. Um, so, And I have found that... Um, very liberating. I think um, well-read people are are free in ways that uh, uh, people who don't like reading or avoid it are not. Because a good author can take you almost anywhere in his or her mind, and that, that's a great way to spend your time. Well, sure, go places that you'd never want to go in real life, or sure, or can't uh, go. You, know? you, you like Paul through. I, I think uh, like he, he made half of his money in his career, you know, going places where none of us would even dream of going. Uh. I, <laughs> Especially on the train rides he takes. <laughs> uh, uh. Um, but I, even writers who don't write that way, they, they introduce you to people you otherwise never would or introduce you to, to worlds you wouldn't. Um, part of the, I, I think, the great writers bring their time and place to you in a way that uh, no movie maker, however gifted, could. Now, the, the, other, the, the other side of, 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 of books and, and books being part of your life um, I'm wondering, how do you explain the public's taste at, at a given time? I mean, I, I look at the bestseller list sometimes, and, and um, 
you know, that, what's that phrase where there's no accounting for the public's taste sometimes when I see that. <laughs> As an agent, do you, um, how do you explain how we buy books or, or what books we read? Because, you know, you, you know what the business is like. There, there's some books that deserve to be read, and, and they, they just don't become the hits that they ought to become. Yes. Uh, that's, that, I wish I had the good answer for that, too. The public wants what it wants, and, and generally, in our, at least under our system, they get it. Um, it's hard to say what, what makes some books... You know, some books sell because the author was famous. Sure, yeah. Um, like the Keith Richards memoir would have sold three copies if he was some obscure guitarist in Japan nobody had heard of. Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's platform that drives a sales book. Sometimes, you know, and for, and for obviously, sometimes it's luck. For every J.K. Rowling, there's a, a million authors with 100 books in their basement, sometimes more. Uh, she's a unicorn. I'm sure she knows that. Um, it's tough to get published now, uh, more and more. Um, I don't know. I wish I had a good answer. That Generally, the public either bonds with an author and his or her work, or they don't. And sometimes they, they're good at hustling and getting the word out. Um, and sometimes authors just expect that to happen on its own, and it often doesn't. Um, uh, yeah, I wish I could answer the the public bonds to what it bonds to. Um, I think that's an important part of the process, that it be allowed to judge on its own. A lot of it is luck, too, isn't it? I mean, you know, I, I'm sure there are books that, that, that say, Oprah um, recommended that didn't do as well as some of the other ones she recommended. Mm -hmm. um, um, but there are very few Oprahs, you know, generally, in terms of that, that can really take a book where it needs to go, right? Yeah, the... the in some ways, um, the the big book people like Peter Zosky, um, Oprah, uh, to a certain extent, um, Rosie O'Donnell, like those big famous book yeah. people, they're 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 gone now, or their shows are off the air. And um, I don't know. I, I um, you want people reading as much as possible, but you're not sure you want them reading it because some TV star said they should. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, we at the bookstore, we had people asking us if we had the new Toni Morrison. And we had to explain that Tony won the Nobel Prize in 1982. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, uh, you want people you want people reading, and, and to some extent, you know, you want them to choose what they're reading. Uh, I think uh, free will is important in this regard, and it's easy to sneeze at a bestseller list. But all the authors we love and revere today all, all had to endure similar fates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is we. I, I, I know I'm telling I'm preaching to the choir here, but. It, for instance, in music, it's it's we who love Bach, uh, specifically Johann Sebastian. In his day, he was not by far the most popular of the composers. Telemann was much more popular. Yeah. He'd probably be astonished to find out how popular he is now. Yeah. And a lot of the composers we revere today were almost borderline neglected in their day. Yeah. Uh, I'm not an author, but I'd hate to, to, to wait that long. <laughs> Well, sometimes your audience isn't here yet. Yeah, that's true. Too. I mean, when, when Nietzsche was alive, um, basically just friends and family were reading him, and he didn't have a lot of friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's now he's a towering figure. Uh, he kind of created his audience. I don't know. These are probably longer and more boring answers than you were counting on. <laughs> I, I don't know about a bestseller. Sometimes they reflect what people are reading, and sometimes they're driven by TV. And, um, I'm lucky enough that my clients have done well enough that I, I kind of make a living. <laughs> yeah. So, so as an agent, can you foresee what what will be a hit a year from now, a season from now? Oh no, no. The market always decides. Like, I, I yeah. got, oh, that's an exaggeration. I have some idea. Like, I think you've had uh, Peter Mansbridge on your podcast once. Yeah. Or twice. 
I knew his first book would sell some copies. Like I knew it would do probably ten, fifteen thousand. 15,000. Yeah. I was wrong. It was closer to 40. Yeah. Uh, his memoir I knew would do well. I thought it'd sell around 25,000. Again, it's closer to 40. There's an appetite out there for authors who work hard and playwright. Yeah. Um, some, some of my authors, I, like, I know the new Bob McKenzie will do well because it's Bob McKenzie and he'll put in the work. But I've had other clients who I thought would sell, you know, a couple thousand, have sold closer to twenty-five thousand. The public decides. And and uh, in terms of the book business, are publishers buying as many books now as they did say before the pandemic? Probably more. Really? I don't mean to speak lightly of something that's cost so many people their lives, and you can always edit this part out. <laughs> <laughs> but if, and I know I'm speaking callously here, so you, again you can edit it out. If this pandemic has had one salutary effect. It, as far as I can tell as an agent, it's gotten people off their phones and yeah. reading more. Yeah. Many of my clients' sales have exploded during this pandemic. And I'm sure every agent in North America and in Europe would tell you the same thing. Uh, yeah. Some of my uh, these titles have exploded. Yeah, yeah that's the thing. I, 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 it doesn't matter who recommends a book. As long as people are reading, I, I can't see why that's a bad thing. You know, or buying books even, right? Yep. No, I... I A couple publishers have told me they've had some of their best years ever. And again, I know how callous I sound, but I know people are suffering and people are getting sicker. But I think it has got people off their phones a little. Do do you think poetry um, is taught well in schools? I mean, no, no. And and I guess that's why people don't read it, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, what's that Marshall McLuhan joke? if we want to make, if we want kids to stop watching TV, we should uh, make them take it in high school. It worked for Shakespeare, <laughs> and it's not really a joke. I mean, Shakespeare may be arguably <clears throat> the most filthy slash entertaining writer who ever lived. Oh sure, yeah. And yet, most people wouldn't say they're bored by him. Yeah. Because they had to take him in school from someone who didn't care. He suffers, of course, as, as you know, because some of his jokes are what four hundred and. 50 years old, now, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and jokes don't always age well, especially because he spoke in such a, he was such a wild uh, writer, and I mean that as a compliment, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm sure many of the gags we don't get now, so he suffers from that as every older writer does, but yeah, no, uh, I remember once time you had me on, you, you said you were, you know, when you were going through school, poetry bored you stiff, yeah. which for me it's hard to believe because there are so many great political poets that I know you would eat up had they had they been talked to you with, with with interest. Yeah, I think so. I think I think it really depends on on the sort of poetry that that, that you get at that formative age, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. it really matters. Like if you had a teacher who knew you're in politics and introduced you to some of Dunn and Milton and Marvell at yeah. their most political, you would have eaten that stuff up. Yeah, those guys had a lot to say and they said it well. Some of them ended up in prison. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the fascinating thing is that these guys cared so much. Some of they, they literally did end up in jail. Think of Voltaire or uh, Milton. Um, they they were fascinated by it. and They wrote well about it. But you had teachers who didn't give a damn, and it shows. Mm-hmm. What, what what do you um, dislike about writing poetry? Um, I, I just like the ones that just never get going. I have to take them out behind the barn and and shoot them in the back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate the ones that don't work. They they just they they start badly. And they get worse, and, and often Rachel has the thankless task of telling me that I have to take it out back behind the barn. <laughs> yeah. What um, um, 
I talk to writers all the time in, in various genres. I'm, I'm interested in knowing in, um, inspiration and creativity. When that strikes, what does that feel like as a writer? Oh, it feels great. There's nothing better than a, a good idea you think you can do something with. It's a great feeling. Yeah. The trick is to get it intelligible for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, that's true because it, it might work well in your head but not work well on a page, right? That's right. That's the struggle. Yeah. I'm sure the novelists and essays you've had on have all told you the same thing. That like, Especially the novelists. I'm sure when they're out for a walk somewhere and they, the idea pops in there. That That is probably a great feeling. But then... <clears throat> They've got to figure out how to make that work for 19 chapters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian, it's so, so fun to talk, you know, as, well, we, as we do here or, or just on the phone or exchanging emails. Um, continue good luck with this book and, and all the best. I, I want to thank you and Rachel for all the kindness over the years, and I'll, I'll hope to see you soon. Likewise. Thanks again for having me on. The book is called... Zen in Beverly Hills. It's published by Equation Books. Visit brianjwood.com for more. Brian Wood, join me on the line from Guelph, Ontario, in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunder.